Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week on the podcast, I'm going to ask for a little personal indulgence. My father, Colin Dalton, is in town. He's been such an important influence on my personal cycling journey that I wanted to get him on the podcast and talk about his own journey in cycling. As you'll learn, Colin was born in the United Kingdom and found his world changed after getting on the bicycle for the first time. The bicycle opened up avenues for exploration around the United Kingdom, later turned to a passion for racing and touring all over Europe. Cycling continues to be a passion of the Dalton family and is one of those things that unites many of us around the world. With that, let's dive right into my conversation with Colin Dalton. Colin Dalton, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's fun to be here with you, Craig, in Mill Valley. So for the listener, Colin Dalton obviously shares the same last name as me. Thanks to vaccination, I'm finally seeing my father after about a year and a half. So it's great to see you. Yeah, it was good getting together last a year last April was the last time we got together as a family. Yeah. So I thought it would be interesting. Obviously, this is a gravel cycling podcast, but... I probably wouldn't have cycling in my life if it wasn't for you. So could you just tell the listener about where you grew up and then we'll get into your cycling background? Yeah, I was growing up in an industrial town in the north of England, Kingston-upon-Hull, and the only form of transport we had was bicycles. So essentially I grew up on a bike and having a, a great sense of adventure, I used it as a tool for exploring and I've continued to explore the world on a bike for the rest of my life. <laughs> so you also have four brothers, and were all the brothers into cycling? I think at some point everybody took it up, but if, um, there's only two of us got into the racing, uh, racing bikes. <laughs> okay, so obviously like we've all had bikes as kids, and we all use them to kind of explore... Yeah. Yeah. But I suspect given the time frame, and maybe just to give the listener some perspective, you were born in what year? I was born in 1936. Okay, so in the late 1940s, when you hit your teenage years in Hull, were you then going on longer rides to explore the different communities around you? Yep, yeah, um, I had the first real bike when I was about 11 years old, and I just started exploring the neighborhood, just going in, in ever-increasing uh, wider circles around my hometown. So when you talk about your first real bike, yeah. what, what did that translate to? <laughs> I called it, we now call it, in America, you'd call it a truck bike. <laughs> yeah, and what does that mean? Oh, it's just a steel bike with uh, steel components, a heavy um, bike with no gear whatsoever just okay. just one gear and did it have drop handlebars oh, no no they just had uh, straight handlebars okay yep. so that's a single speed bike as we call it in this yep. vernacular yep. did you say it had cantilever brakes or did it have a, a coaster brake <laughs> it just said um, coaster brakes yeah. okay <laughs> and so how far out of town were you able to explore with that type of setup <laughs> I did um, I did hundred mile rides on a truck bike. Uh, I remember going with my elder brother, who had what we called a racing bike, and I remember going to Scarborough and back in one day, which is a hundred mile ride. Okay. <laughs> and did you did you enjoy it enough that you sought out 
the resources to get a drop bar bike? Is that kind oh, of what yeah. happened? It was a complete passion. <laughs> I leveraged um, two Christmases and three birthdays with my parents to get me a, what I called a racing bike. <laughs> and in I, I don't think um, they held themselves to that, but so I was sufficiently um enthusiastic about getting a bike which uh, made some sense to me <laughs> and you mentioned you had another brother who was interested in racing who was that um well carl i have elder brother carl who's 18 months older than me he did get into racing and did did he have a drop bar bike prior to you yes so i knew i knew uh, what, what i would like to get because he already had it <laughs> and how did your vision of what racing meant form? Did were you able to catch coverage in the newspaper of the Tour de France or earlier races in England? Yeah, it's surprising. Um, the, the guys I associated with uh, imported French newspapers, the Equipe, and we were aware of the Tour de France uh, before we ever even had any dream of going to France. <laughs> and was there a cycling club culture in Hull that was able to? Kind of embrace you under the under their wing as a young man. Yeah, you, well, you started out by going to the cyclist touring club, cycling touring club, but you were aware there were four or five other clubs in the in the town. So there was lots of options to uh, when you uh, when you grew out of touring and started thinking about long distance tour, touring or bicycle racing. There was lots of options. So beyond the tourist touring clubs, were there also racing clubs? Yes. And were there multiple racing clubs in the same town? Yes. All, all of the um, clubs had a racing component, but they also had a touring component as well. Were there rivalries between <laughs> the clubs? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, there was quite a lot of rivalry. <laughs> and I believe I've seen a picture of your racing license. Which club were you affiliated with? Yeah, My, I was originated with Alpha Road Club. And we rode for the British League of Racing Cyclists, um, which was um, one of the alternative approaches to racing. The other one was uh, was mainly involved in time trials, and we were more interested in in um, what we called mass start racing. So that was the uh, the, the incentive. Um, we formed our own club, Alpha Road Club, because there wasn't one in Hull. So we became BLRC, British League of Racing Cyclists, and we were the only club there. But we could race all over, all over Yorkshire as a team. And what what age did the team comprise of? Oh, um, I was sixteen at the time when I first started racing, and I think the eldest guy in the club would be about twenty-two. Okay. <laughs> We, we talked a little bit offline about the type of bicycles and wheels that you were riding. Yeah. Did you say, so it was a, at this point you're on a geared bike. Oh, yeah. What size was the wheels? Uh, no, we had 27 inch wheels by then okay. uh, and um, tubular tires. Okay. That was the biggest um, issue. It was the most expensive item I had to deal with. And it was always a, a, a real um, Difficulty when we've had flats that could not afford automatically afford to get a new tire. Right. <laughs> we were talking about training a little bit, and you mentioned that you did ride on dirt roads. Yeah, um, in my early days, in the touring days, and during the winter, we just used to explore all over the place, riding farm tracks. 
there weren't many gravel roads, but there were lots of farm farm trails, and we used to ride those. Yeah, I think that's but, actually quite similar to what other parts of the country, maybe not Marin County where I live, but other parts of the country, a lot of the gravel cycling sport is really just on farm roads that yeah. cars would go on, yeah. but you know, lesser trafficked roads. Yeah, we also rode hiking trails as well. <laughs> well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. A bit of an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> So you eventually, you, you raced with that club for how many years? Oh. <laughs> Do you remember? I raced until I was about 21. Okay. And then I, I did take up racing later on. Because you, at what age were you when you and mom came to the United States? Yeah, I was um, 26 years old then. And then I bought, immediately bought a bicycle. <laughs> And you did a little racing. I, I know I've seen pictures of races of you in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah, I rode for um, Century Road Club in uh, New Jersey. It was no particular town designation, but it's a number of, of the communities in the northern part of uh, New Jersey, and we used to get together. I used to uh, ride recreational with them and then also race at the weekends if there's a race. There weren't many races in those days. It was very rare, very rare to find a race to race. <laughs> Um, but um, there were some regular races in Central Park, and I rode a number of 50-mile races in Central Park, and also I remember one 100-mile race in Central Park, which meant doing about 16 laps of the <laughs> of the park. And that was, would that be in the 70s? Um, yes. Okay. Uh, and let's see. Uh, yeah, in the early 70s. I was in my early 30s by then. <laughs> and then somewhere along the way, you decided to at least put the bike on the back seat for a little while and become an endurance runner, correct? <laughs> yeah, um, when I got involved in, in business, I didn't have as much time to train for bike riding. I switched to running and became a marathon runner. Okay. And at, at some point, switching over to my relationship with the bike... I guess I got introduced to the bike like most children fairly early on. And in my younger years, I did a little bit of BMX racing. And I've mentioned on the podcast before that I didn't think you thought too favorably of BMX because it was a bit of a strange sport to you. I thought it was strange that you'd want to get all this equipment and only ride one one lap of a a short course. And that was (laughs) it. So I did a little bit of that, and then in high school, you made the decision to offer my myself and two friends uh, a guided bike tour of upstate New York and Vermont. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. You you were about 15 years old at the time. Yeah, so freshman or sophomore in high school, and I remember that first day I, I had Lycra shorts, but I was too embarrassed to, to wear them, and I put cut-off sweatpants over top of them. And within the first 10 miles, I realized that I need to get over any bashfulness about wearing Lycra. And I took those shorts off and I was much happier for it. Oh, yes. It's the way to go. <laughs> the other funny thing I remember about that bike tour is that uh, myself and the two other high school kids, we had big rear panniers on our bikes and we were packing you know, everything we could cram in there. And you insisted on 
buying small front panniers that you run on the back of the bike Mm -hmm. and heavily, heavily editing the amount of gear you brought. Yes. Do you remember that? I do, yes. <laughs> you you definitely were proven to be right in that strategy. And it's funny, in, in sort of modern conversation in this podcast, we talk to a lot of bike packers, and I've had my own experience bikepacking at this point. And the new generation of bags and gears, they're very capable of carrying everything you need without racks anymore. But it is important to edit. So every time I've been out on a bikepacking trip, I sort of remember back to those days mm-hmm. of the, the sheer penalty you have for bringing excess gear. Yeah. I can speak to that. Um, when I was doing my university training with two other guys, we spent a month riding through France and, um, and uh, Italy. I would take in just a small um, saddlebag the, behind the, the saddle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was we uh, just one change, one change of clothing. That's it, that's it. <laughs> and that's about the way to do it. I think it's yeah. a, you know you're not going to be the the nicest smelling lad on the block, <laughs> but it does the job, right? Yeah. The other thing I remember you telling me is you used to cram as much food as you could in a little tin and <laughs> and eat it on the on the rides. Yeah. <laughs> Because you didn't have a little a lot of extra money to stop and resupply. Oh, this is in my earlier days. Yes, yeah, so my mother used to pack a whole bunch of sandwiches, usually date sandwiches, and uh, I could go away for the whole weekend with that one pack of uh, of sandwiches. Tell me about some of the big rides you did for over the weekends back in those days. <laughs> oh well, we we could ride from Hull to Skipton. Um, when we're getting ready to, uh, for the racing season, we'd go out and do a 160 mile Sunday ride. Believe it or not. <laughs> you you, uh, you well, tell me those stories, and it's it's sort of. I mean, I, I get it conceptually, and it's it's funny to me that the sport has actually evolved. The gravel cycling sport specifically has evolved to having a lot of these really long events, like what the so-called Super Bowl of gravel, which is coming up in a few weeks, called Unbound is a 200 mile race and it seems huge but uh, you know you've told me multiple times that you've you've done these 160 mile rides um the longest ride i did i was invited to stay with some friends in london and rode down there in one day with a friend that was a 200 mile ride (laughs) that's pretty much the the length of the united kingdom is that right well from hull to london it's about a third of it yeah okay Okay. And north of Hull, could you ride into the Yorkshire Dales from Hull itself? Yeah. Um, The the destinations for us were to go into West Yorkshire, um, which is the Yorkshire Dales, or alternatively to go to the North Yorkshire Moors, which is also a, a national park. Which is where the Road World Championship rode through, right? Um, yes, it covered both of those areas, uh, just just three years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, I recognised all the all the roads they went went on. <laughs> yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> so when you were in your twenties, you also did some travelling and cycling abroad. Can you tell us about some of those trips? Oh, yes. With um, a couple of college friends who were really interested. We formed a racing team for Hull University. But during the summer, we took off and did a, a month's tour of um, the mountain ranges in, in France and, and Italy. And so was that in the roughly the 1960s? Oh, no. Uh, this was in... Yeah, oh, excuse, no, excuse me. This, this was about 1960. 
Okay. So, so would you just ferry across to France and start pedaling? <laughs> no, we cheated a little bit because we um, we got a uh, a train to Paris and then one down to um, uh, Bayonne, which is on the border of of um, France and uh, and Spain. And from there we took off and rode through the Pyrenees, um, going to all of the passes we'd read about in the Tour de France. <laughs> and did you have any sort of guidebook or any maps to go off of? Oh, we just had a general map to look. We knew where, we knew the mountain passes. And we, we just um, had some sort of preconception of where we're going, but no, no um, designated stopping points. We stopped in some youth hostels, some B&Bs, whatever. Okay. Well, on one occasion, we just slept out in the row. <laughs> and were you using your racing bike for that trip? Yes. Yeah. So what did that look like at that age? I'm presuming it's down tube shifters and maybe a five-speed cassette in the back? Um, no, we did have 10 speeds. So, so we had a, a, a dual front and five at the back and uh, uh, levers on the down tube. Yeah. You have some modern-day road bikes. When you think about the low gear and you have on your your Trek road bike today, how does it compare to the low gear of that bike? Um, I actually have the same gearing. I specifically got the gearing on the on my current bike to have some pretty low um, gears. As I got older, I needed the low gears. So even so, you, you did have low enough gears to get over the Tourmalet and some of those big climbs. Yeah, we we've been using I think forty six by. 25 or something like that okay still still a fairly hefty gear to get if you have bags on you and and whatnot well we were traveling pretty light the climbing wasn't that difficult (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. and did you make it south of france in that trip oh we rode across the pyrenees and then across the riviera i took a, a day off to enjoy the beach and then headed um into Italy, just so a short excursion into Italy, and then we rode up through the uh, Alps. Amazing. Yeah. It's amazing to me. I mean, cycling's been part of your entire life, effectively. Oh, it still is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I wouldn't miss a Sunday without going for a bike ride. I know. Do you want to tell them where you, where you normally do your riding? Yeah, well, we live in, um, in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and there's a, it's a, a bicycle mecca because the weather is so good in the winter. All of the major uh, uh, racing teams come down to train down there in the winter. In fact, one one year Lance Armstrong was in town, but so we have uh, just a great city to ride in. Um, our backyard goes up to uh, nine thousand uh, feet up on Mount Lemon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listeners of the podcast may remember our episode with the Mount Lemon gravel grinder, which actually goes up the backside of Mount Lemon on the dirt. Yeah, I've dro- I drove that in my Jeep, but I haven't ridden it on the bike. <laughs> yeah, I, one of these days I'm super excited to get down there. Yeah, and you do might that. enjoy that, Craig. I think you would. Yeah. yeah, and there's also a number of, as as you may know on the podcast, there's a number of tour operators and camps that are operating out of Tucson <clears throat> and also a little further south in Patagonia because... As you can attest to from your your really uh, strong hiking career in that region, there's dirt roads and mountain passes all over the place in oh, Tucson. There's plenty of opportunities of, of the old Jeep roads. Yeah, yeah, it's a it it's a place that I definitely want to ride more off road for sure because it's I, got that reputation. I could 
I could tell you about some interesting places to visit. <laughs> I'm sure you can. Well, Dad, I appreciate your visit. I appreciate the time on the podcast. I thought it would just be fun to give the listener a little bit of glimpse into your life and how it affected my passion for cycling across the lifetime. So thank you for introducing me to cycling <laughs> and thank you for spending a little bit of time with us today. Yeah, well, it's been a delightful to, to visit you and celebrate the kids' birthdays. But, um, I have to tell everybody that I'm still riding when I'm 84 years old. <laughs> so keep that in mind, everybody. Keep yeah. the pedals rolling. <laughs> Big thanks to my dad for sitting down with me this week, and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I realize it was a bit of a personal indulgence, but my passion for cycling simply wouldn't be here without my father and his enthusiasm for the sport over the years. Not a Sunday goes by without my dad hitting the bike paths of Tucson, Arizona. His lifetime commitment to the sport always keeps me stoked and reminds me if we stay fit and healthy and focused, we can have long cycling lives in front of us. That's going to do it for us this week. If you're looking to connect, please head over to theridership.com and join our online cycling community. It's totally free. You just need to get an invite via that link at www.theridership.com. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, ratings and reviews are always extremely appreciated, as well as visiting buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. <laughs> <laughs>